Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to The Catch with John Fisher on Blog Talk Radio, connecting life to faith. To get it together, trying to help their fellow man. Hoping we can make it better. Do you really think we can? Well, there we go, everybody. It's it's our blog talk radio song, and it is Tuesday night at six o'clock. And here we are. Uh, we are uh, ready to go, and uh, we have a wonderful guest for tonight. Um, I hope you're doing okay. Uh, boy, I think we're all going nuts with uh, with this whole election debacle. I call it the uh, Trump and Hillary show, and uh, it's really quite a deal. But uh, somehow... Uh, we're going to make it through this, um, but we need to be praying. We really do, uh, because things are things are really going uh, a little bit crazy with this country right now. And uh, boy, it's, it's an exciting time from that standpoint too. We uh, something's in the wind, and uh, I think I think a, a, a new beginning, a new uh, a new thrust with. Uh, with a uh, revolution and a turn back to Jesus is uh, quite possible. So um, that's that's what we've been talking about uh, for the last number of weeks, and it's been exciting to have a lot of the original, some of the original Jesus music people from from the Jesus movement in the early 1970s. Our guest tonight is uh, actually someone I guess we might call uh, from maybe the second wave. We'll call it that, Um, the second wave of music. And we're going to find out as we talk to him some more um, where he fits in. But uh, our guest is uh, one of our finest singer-songwriters in terms of uh, Christian art artists I think that uh, we have and can can uh, put out there. His name is Bob Bennett. I'm, uh, some people uh, might not be familiar with him, but I'll tell you the ones who are are uh, huge Bob Bennett fans because that's the way it is. If you, if you found him, if you know him, you are excited about him. And uh, so there we are. Bob, are you with us? Can I can I am I indeed, John. Great, great to talk with you, man. <laughs> okay. Okay, wonderful. Um I I put you <laughs> I put you in the second wave. I I'm not quite sure what I'm talking about, but No, no, you know, no. You I, you, I, you actually have you pinned it, I think, very very well. <laughs> um what did you I want to know did you know anything about the Jesus movement and what was your impression of it? And like, maybe where were you at age wise and all of that when, when that was coming down? Well, I think when you guys 
and I, I use that term lovingly and inclusively with all of the first wave of people who were doing this, well, you guys were kind of inventing the wheel. Um, I, I didn't really know too much of what was going on. It wasn't that you weren't having an impact. It's just that I was so uh, so uh, virulently uh, irreligious at the time that it would have would have taken a whole lot <laughs> uh, to uh, to get my attention in that direction. But but uh, once I be, be able uh, was able to sort of read the New Testament and then come to a, a a beginning part of faith and found out about this music. I, uh, it was uh, it was very um, impactful at the time. To make a long story slightly long, I was working uh, out here in Southern California at a record store called Licorice Pizza. We thought that was a that that makes a whole lot more sense <laughs> if you have the right chemicals involved. But but um, it was a vinyl record store uh, as they all were back in those days and. Um, I, my best friend in this world is a guy named Dan Rupel, who co-founded a comedy team called Isaac Air Freight. And I've known Dan literally now for a half a century. It feels kind of odd to say that, but that, that's the truth. And we were both working at the store. So what we did is we started ordering into stock all of these Christian music albums. So all of a sudden, we've got a bin full of, you know, Randy Matthews and Larry Norman, Randy Stonehill, Phil Keggy, Second Chapter of Acts, Children of the Day, you, um, a little bit later, Scott Wesley Brown, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And we were actually selling these albums in the store. And what we came to find out, of course, is that the same people that would grab those records out of the bin would also grab uh, the latest Jackson Brown or Frampton Comes Alive or Leonard Skinner or something. So we found out pretty, on, uh, pretty early on that there was no uh, separation of church and state, as it were, uh, when it came to music and how a lot of people listen to music. So we, we thought that was a big lesson to learn, and we were glad to sort of be in the middle of it in our little store. Wow. Well, you know, I wish there were more places like that. That, that Unfortunately, I think there was a separation uh, generally that most people experienced because that's a rare store that you're going to walk in and you're going to find uh, – a good selection of both secular and Christian product in those days. Uh, aren't you, uh, don't you think yeah, that's and of course, correct? And that was really wholly due to us being in the store corporately. You know, the chain had right. no, no awareness of this. I, I imagine if they were, you know, the records would have been doing big numbers, then they would have treated it like, well, Polka music selling out. Let's get a few of those in. I don't know that they would have had any, emotional or, or sort of <laughs> ethical connection to it, but it's just what sells. But here are two guys in the store who can order stuff in, and we just started ordering it all in, and we had a, we had a fabulous selection of songs. I mean, we, Malcolm and Alwyn, and I mean, we, we were listening to everything. Wow. And we were, actually, we were actually playing that stuff in the store, which was a whole lot of fun, because then when you, you know, you're, you're standing over next to like the head shop counter in the store, and, and, you know, and we're hearing. You know, I, I wish we'd all been ready. It was. It was pretty cool. <laughs> wow! Wow! And what? What was the? Uh, what was the reaction of 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 most people? Well, you know, some people. Were they some interested? people heard it. Some people heard it and remarked. A lot of people. It was. It was. It was off-putting to them, as it, as it would have been to me two or three years earlier than that. Um, mm-hmm. You know. I mean, if I can still remember how 
completely over the top I was when it came to sort of rejecting anything Jesus-y or religious or whatever. I just had such a mind uh, that was pointed in the other direction that I didn't want to hear about it. Um, and, and I think, there were, you know, a lot of people are just that way, and it, it takes a um, – uh, I know I'm maybe pivoting off into a topic that you don't want to go to, but I, I, I think it takes a lot of sensitivity and a lot of patience to sort of debrief people from what their objections are as, as opposed to who Jesus is. And a lot of times those are two separate things that they don't see as being that until you get a chance to kind of uh, lovingly and right. hopefully skillfully kind of point that out to them. But um, but it was it was right. it was a pretty it was a pretty cool thing to be a part of at the time. <laughs> what what was your impression about those early uh, artists like Love Song and Larry Norman and Honey Tree and people like that? We, we thought it was magnificent that the musical language that we were used to speaking was was uh-huh. now. Uh, you know, giving these messages and these subjects and these things that we were very hungry for and very uh, concerned with. So it was, I mean, it was it was kind of a validation of, hey, this is we're not alone in this. There's a lot of people who are are pointed in the direction of Jesus and the gospel and and, and fellowship with one another. So it kind of, even though we were kind of real newbies, it made us feel like we were part of something that was really legitimate and important. And um, it was it was really a, a real sense of discovery, and you know back in the day. I mean, now I'm an old dude, and and we look back with with some nostalgia and hopefully with uh, some vestige of of relevance to our own current time. But back in the day, that was we were all the young people, and and we had built that youth culture brick by brick, and were obsessed with it and living in the middle of it. And and all of you artists were people our age and. And uh, from you know our time and speaking our language, so it was a very, very inclusive kind of validating thing for us. Wow, oh, that's great. When, when did you start getting a vision that that you could do this, that you could be a, a songwriter and a singer? When did that kick in? Well, that that happened pretty early on because I grew up next to my. Um, a family record player and was listening to my brother's folk music collection. So, you know, before the, before ah. the Beatles were the Beatles, the Kingston trio were actually the Beatles. No one remembers this, this, of course, but these, this was a group, I a trio of, of, you know, folk singers that had six and seven records at a time on the billboard charts and were selling out colleges across America and stuff. And this was, during what Martin Mull calls the great folk music scare of the 60s, when that stuff almost caught on. And so this is the stuff that I was weaned on. Uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary, the Limelighters, uh, uh, right. you know, all of these groups. And then when then Dylan came along, then the Beatles came along. Those were real game changers. And, um, and so when I was 10 years old, I started to learn how to play the guitar. I'd been camped out next to the turntable. And... You know, I was the kind of kid who would walk to school and make up songs, just a cappella on the way to school. Well, when I had a guitar in my hand, it clicked. It's like, oh, I want to do this. Mm. And, um, you know, so pretty much from age 10 onward, um, I knew that this wow. was, you know, going to be a, a, a significant part of my life. So you, uh, when, when, how old were you then when, 
when you when you wrote something that you know you were it was good enough to record later on. <laughs> how about, well, I mean, how about if I, I was, put it that way? I was trying real hard, and I, and I my my father purchased an old uh, I think it was a Panasonic sound on sound tape recorder, and I could actually do overdubbing. This would have been like 1968, 69. You know, I was like barely getting into high okay. school. And so I'm I'm playing around with the tape machine and trying to overdub and play guitar and do vocals and things like that. So, you know, I had a few sort of unrequited love songs that I guess were passable, you know, that I could play in in uh clubs and coffee houses and things like that and 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 uh you know, by that time, everybody sort of wanted to be Jackson Brown Jr., and um, and that mm-hmm. never happened for me. Um, I, you know, I came. Well, if, if you don't mind me digressing, I'll tell you. I, I was raised Roman Catholic, and uh, unlike a lot of guys, I'm I don't badmouth that at all. I'm very grateful for that heritage. But as I said, I had my total teenage estrangement from all things religious. Didn't want to hear about it. Forget about it. Go convert somebody else. Thank you very much. But when I finally picked up a good news for modern man and started reading the New Testament and realizing that all of my objections to religion had nothing to do with Jesus, but just the folly of humans, which is still sometimes the issue, um, then all of yeah. a sudden I, I wanted I, I I said, well, what is this born again thing, and how does that apply to me? So I, I truthfully, on my more Catholic days, what I can tell you is that I believe God called in a marker that he was holding for a long time. Because when I was confirmed as a kid, when I had my first Holy Communion, I knew that something huge was happening. I just didn't know how to make very much sense of it. Um, on my more Protestant days, I'll tell you that a few days after my 22nd birthday, I was born again, and God basically you know, completed one thing and started another, if you will, in me. And... Hmm. Um, so that was that was kind of how it went. <laughs> okay. Well, when did you when when did you start uh, recording uh, Christian music? Then when was your first? Uh, well, i i did a I did an, a song. There was album. a promotional album that Maranatha Music put out in 1978, and I had written a song called okay. Spiritual Equation about the trinity of all things. You don't hear that many trinity songs. But the whole wow. the, the song was kind of a whimsical song and and the hook line was it's a spiritual equation where 3 equals 1 is right. And that was the hook of the song and so I recorded that song Tommy Coombs we had a lot of the local guys, you know, around uh, playing on it and that came out. And then a year later uh First Things First came out and that was my that was my debut album, as we say in the trade, and uh, so it came out, and and, um, and uh, so it would, you know, I'd spent my entire life wanting to do this. I don't know how it was for you, but you know, as soon as I had yeah. a guitar in my hand and started singing and writing, this is what you do. You want to make records, and uh, so to actually have one was pretty great. That's great. That's great. Well, um. You know, I've always I've always thought of you as as a pure artist in terms of being a singer songwriter, and what I mean by that is that um, you created you you created art. Your your songs are stories. 
their uh, songs about life. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not even sure, you know, that there, there was this genre of, of songs that, that Christian music put out that, that kind of had to have uh, uh, the God word or the Jesus word in it uh, enough times or uh, some kind of easily recognizable uh, Christian phrase. So the little flag went up and said, this is a Christian song and it made us all feel happy and comfortable. Right. Um, I never saw you, I, I never saw you doing that. Did you, did you ever feel that pressure? Did you ever feel like you had to be doing that? And well, did, I, did any of the record companies ever put you under that pressure? I think my first album is probably the most conventionally Christian music album of the bunch. But even then I was trying to write songs like the night shift and, and other things that were a little bit far afield from, it wasn't just the fierce four spiritual laws in a song or each song ends with mm-hmm. an implied altar call um, or has, or, or that the Jesus word count, um, you know, satisfies. Right. I mean, as you, as you well know, um, you're sort of saddled with two things at once, at least we were at the time. And, and I, and I, use that term very kind of tongue-in-cheek but we were supposed to be singing for the unbeliever but the fact of the matter is everything that we did had to pass muster with the choir and everybody that was already in the pew and so you know you sort of were at cross purposes sometimes but i i don't know what happened to me john i think i i heard enough stuff and i'd heard enough songwriters before that that it dawned on me somewhere between the first album and the second album that I didn't have to tell the entire story, that, and that I could give glimpses of things, that I could hint at things, and that the audience, um, as, as low a threshold as this might be, to assume that the audience might be as smart as I am. And, and so I, mm-hmm. I think one of the big, mis- big mistakes we make in creating things in a Christian context is we sort of reach over on the plate of the person next to us and start cutting up their food. When you take away the joy of discovery and the joy of ownership in listening to a song, when you take that away from somebody by overstating your case or by inartfully sort of communicating, then you've done them and I think the artwork um, a disservice as well. So uh, to answer the second part of your question, it's amazing because I never had a record company come to me and say, you can't do this. I don't know how – I, I know guys, you may be hmm. one of them, who have horror stories of bringing in records and then some guy in an office takes out a Sharpie and, and crosses off a third of the songs and says, go back and do it again. Mm-hmm. It never happened yeah. to me. And so that, that's kind of a oh, miracle. In fact, I, I did an album. Um, uh, I wrote an album that ha- during the time that I was going through a, a painful divorce, and there's really there's no other kind, and I wrote a record about this as a Christian trying to make sense of this. And a guy, mm. uh, Philip Sandifer, who was at Urgent Records at the time, it was a teeny tiny little record label in Austin, Texas, actually put this thing out. Can you imagine Word or Sparrow or Light or any of those guys yeah. touching this with a 10-foot pole? There's no way in the world they'd have done that. Yeah. So I don't know how I got yeah. – I don't know how I ran those rapids without without losing my life, but I did. <laughs> Well, 
I'm thankful for that. And uh, because, you know, that's, that's the way it should have been. That's the way it should have been for all of us. And uh, uh, I, I, I just feel like in, in some ways, you know, that's where, you know, Christian, Christian music um, would off track uh, for a while. And uh, maybe in some ways is still off track uh, because it wasn't human. You know, it, it wasn't it, it wasn't just art. It wasn't music that came out of people who love the Lord, you know. And uh, I think that happened to all of us, you know, really. I, I, I know very early on we were prophets. We were really into the message. That's because we believed that God had picked us to bring bring in the second coming honestly we we were we were out there everything was the gospel for a while and yeah. and then i think i think when we moved past that then we started to just realize hey wait a minute we're people too and let's just write about life as uh, as human beings whose whose lives are devoted to the lord and let's see how that comes out you know, I, well, to me, I think I think that you're, you, go ahead. You, you I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, we may have a little delay on our connection here, but uh, um, that's why I tell people that the Chariots of Fire was the perfect quote-unquote Christian movie, because the Christian mm. aspect of the story, on the face of the story, was not this big, big long Jimmy Durante schnozzola. It was it was in in keeping with what the face of the story should have looked like, and because it wasn't oversold, it becomes that much more powerful. I think anytime anybody feels like they're trapped at a multi-level marketing presentation, or 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 feels <laughs> like there's a sales pitch coming their way, even if the product is is totally righteous, kind of pun intended, um, people recoil against that. They they don't want to be hustled by anything, even if it's a good thing. And so, you know, I would never suggest that we don't want to be plain sometimes in our speaking, but I think also it takes it takes some deafness and some uh, wisdom to sort of figure out how to communicate with people in a way, uh, you know, as I alluded to before, so that when they hear it, they can kind of make it their own. They can they can they can be the arbiter of of what you're doing and um, and connect up the dots that they need to on their own. Let's talk about that some more. Um, I've I've often I heard one time. I love your I love your image there of uh, reaching over and cutting somebody else's food. Um, that's so perfect. Another way I heard it was uh, sometimes uh, we Christians are are so blatant uh, about our our message that uh, you know it's almost like hitting somebody in the face with a wet fish um, when. When when the message was really already there, um, how do you, how do you do that? I mean, how how do you think um, how, how does that work with, with you these days in the songs that you are writing and uh, uh, what what keeps you on track as far as that's concerned? Well, I mean, I try to shoot first and ask questions later. In other words, I try to just create the thing without too much of worry or of a mind of 
what will its use be, which audience will it be played for, um, you know, I mean, you can't help but think about all that stuff, but but I try not to let the tail wag the dog uh, when it comes to writing songs. Um, you know, that's that's part of it. And, um, I, I mean, I, I, I'm a big proponent of storytelling in songs, and so I think that's, I think that's completely missing yeah. in action in today's postmodern church. I mean, people are yeah. binging Netflix for five hours at a time, but the guy who gets up and sings, uh, you know, the songs of testimony or songs of here, real life, here's what happens in my life and your life, um, we're, we're not there anymore. We're, we're not on the platform doing anything. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I'm, I, I, yes, I'm an old guy. I have a dog on the hunt. I still want to be relevant to do this. But aside from all of those kind of selfish considerations, I just don't want to see a generation of, of church artists jettison a whole kind of communication that the rest of the world is screaming that they're hungry for and, and, and that is yeah. still the coin of the realm. Yeah, yeah. Tell me about now. Are you are – you able to be doing what you want to do now um yes and no i mean i'm still i'm still a self-employed musician which means sometimes i really have to yell at my boss but uh, most of the time um (laughs) you know i still get to i still get to record and play concerts and stuff my my issue is i just need to be doing more of it um in terms of my actually being a guy who works for a living um you know and Again, I, I don't mean to make this sound uh, like a, a whining kind of thing, but uh, most people assume that if you make records and you stand up in front of a lot of people and you play music and so forth, it's very natural to think, well, they must be doing pretty good. You know, they must have an yeah. accountant that takes care yeah. of all that stuff and, you know, and, and waxes the Mercedes and all the rest of it stuff. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, yep. you know, it could well be that the guy working at Trader Joe's has got a better financial profile than I do. Um, so it right. doesn't necessarily follow because you get to do this kind of work that you have this particular type of life. And and, and especially now that we live in a do-it-yourself world, which is kind of the good news and the bad news. I mean, anybody can do this now, which means that there's an incredible amount of stuff going on and it's difficult to distinguish yourself in a world with this much noise going on all the time um part of the solution for me is to tear a page from the seth godin uh, playbook and to find my tribe which is to say find people who like what i do and how i do it and get them on a mailing list and keep them current with what i'm doing and keep them happy Mm -hmm. and if i pick up people along the way that's great but i'm not trying Mm -hmm. to be a national anything or a or a you know uh, um, you know Adele with a Christian piece of jewelry around my neck or something. That's not my goal. My goal is to find mm-hmm. people who are going to be predisposed to what I do and how I do it, and try to serve them as best I can. So that 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 helps me make sense of 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 the fact that it's not 25 years ago. We don't have labels. We don't have managers. We don't have booking agents. It's a do-it-yourself world out there now. And so you know I'm trying to. Uh, uh, make tasty lemonade out of uh, those lemons. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I love that opening story you told about about um, you and you and your friend in in 
in the bookstore where where you're in a secular bookstore, but you have the Christian albums there as well. Um, to me, I wish we would have done that on a larger scale. I wish somehow we could have um, bypassed the the, the the Christian music world and found our place in the regular world, in in the world with everybody else and figured out how to get there. And some of us would have made it and some of us wouldn't. But uh, I think, I don't know, I often think we would have had a bigger impact. I, I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, I mean, I think it cuts both ways. It was the path of least resistance in terms of inventing our own genre that we could then populate with our own artists. Um, and right. so, um, right. you know, I, I might not have been able to do a record with CBS if I hadn't have been on the gospel division of their label. But but on the other hand, you're correct. Once once you you have that particular identity, then you literally are going to be preaching to the choir most of the time. Um, you know, there are other places. I guess I guess this was not. I, I I've heard stories that it was not necessarily this way in England. So that when you would get artists that would would come out, these records would have to sit alongside the best of the best, and they would either find their place. In, in with the listeners and, and, and radio and all that, or yeah. they wouldn't. But we made our separatist bed, and then we sort of had to lie in it. And um, yeah, and you know that that and that that has certainly has had its downside. Uh, you, sometimes I'll go out and do songwriter showcases where I'm I'm just out in some bar or coffee house or something, and I'll obviously I'll judiciously pick the songs that I think are going to work. I might not be singing Come and See or Mountain Cathedrals or something, but I play these songs that are every bit as important to me as, as, as the overtly uh, gospel songs, and, and people will respond to them. And that's a, that's a great reminder for me that I want my music to be relevant, not just because you love the Lord and you're in with Him, which I cherish, and, and the opportunity to do that. I mean, if if I can help any believer get through another day in this fallen world, trying to trying to live out the gospel, that's my right. honor. I, right. I, they're not they're not second class citizens just because they're not may not be hip and cool and like wearing their leather jacket to bed or whatever. Um, I want to serve them too, but I also think it's great when I get out into the larger uh, world and play these mm-hmm. songs and mm-hmm. they're meaningful to somebody who doesn't share every uh, dotted i and cross t of what I might believe. Right. Um, that keeps me honest as a communicator. My, I, when I get a lot of young songwriters in front of me, what I tell them is that your first job is to communicate, not to minister. Uh, ministry is a goal that belongs on the right-hand side of an equal sign. Everything that you pay attention to and do artistically is on the left-hand side of the equal sign. And if you do that job mm. right, then the ministry will ensue. You don't try to accomplish ministry. What you do is try to communicate first mm. and honestly, and then the result of the organic byproduct of that will be to serve another person and perhaps to, to get them to consider the gospel in a way. So, you know, again, 
it's a wonderful and noble thing to be out there preaching the gospel, to want to see the lost uh, found, uh, to want to, uh, uh, you know, perhaps midwife as many people as we can, uh, uh, along with the Holy Spirit being born into the kingdom. But, but sometimes we let our end goal dictate our method, as opposed to say, I just want to write honest, decent songs that can be heard by people and 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 then the holy spirit he's going to he's going to do the heavy lifting on all this stuff it's it, that's yeah that's out yeah. of my hands at a certain point that's great that's great well to say that uh looks like our time is almost up um but i i have one question that we've we've been discussing a lot lately and that is um uh do you see do you see any any changes uh on the horizon um, we we've been we've been thinking that there are some ways because one is we found uh, a lot of millennials are finding us in terms of of uh the catch community that we have our online presence and and what we do here how we say it um and uh you know, it seems to be connecting um, with with young people again, and, and in ways which it wasn't say ten, fifteen years ago. Um, and that makes that makes us wonder. You know, is 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 it time maybe for another awakening, or or at least are do we have? Have you noticed anything about? young people wanting authenticity and wanting uh wanting to get back to Jesus and not not just the church and even even in worship you know uh i i see a lot of a lot of these young people uh, they're tired of the quote contemporary worship they just want something real they don't care about the you know the uh fire bombs and the smoke bombs and the you know the big production stuff um i don't know are you seeing some of that what what are your you know, my what's your take on that, that, that that's right i'm just now starting to dip my toe into the pool of of uh being able to hang around with college students and to do some things where i get to to uh-huh. uh, to to listen to them and also to see their reactions to some of the stuff that i'm doing and i would like to think that it's not just their 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 old guy politeness but that they maybe sense a little something um, in 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 what I'm trying to do, and and uh, you know it, it it's all too easy for me to slip into the hey you kids get off my lawn kind of guy you know these days, but what I really <laughs> want to do, and I and I'm I would expect although we've not talked about this directly, I would expect this is probably your heart as well, with whatever real estate I have left in my life to plow, whatever whatever time I have left on the Bob Bennett timeline. Um, I want to be as much of an encouragement as I can be to those who are, are, are coming along behind me on the timeline, those who are going to be the church. If the Lord, you know, and this is from the Jesus movement when we all didn't want to miss the rapture. So we we still have a tendency to think in terms of if the Lord tarries and doesn't come back and the church continues on for another century, then we've got people coming up behind us, and I want to make sure that they're as encouraged and equipped and and blessed yeah. by us as we can possibly be without us telling them what to do, but just saying, 
um, we're, we're in your corner. We, we, as much as we can, yeah. we, we have your back and, um, yeah. And we want to be helpful in any way we can and encouraging. Fantastic. Yeah. That's certainly what we're feeling and what we really want to do and be here at the catch. That's, that's really well spoken. Um, I, I find just the last question because I, you shared with me that you have done some things re- most recently um, on uh, college campuses and around, in and around your music. And so I'm kind of assuming that a lot of these kids are hearing your music for the first time. Am I right about that? And That's what, right. how, it, is it, how is it going over? What's, what's the reaction? Well, Unless they were trapped in a car with grandpa and grandma on a family vacation or something, this all of this stuff is quite new to them. And, um, <laughs> you know, I, I'll tell you the thing that was so sweet to me is I recently did a college gig where, where the, um, the concert was opened by four students who chose four of my songs, and I, mm. I played guitar while they sang them. But what 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 wow. was totally wonderful in addition to that fact happening, any you know anybody under thirty even caring about this stuff, was that each one of them explained to me why they chose that song, and hmm. I was so knocked out that they had actually listened carefully enough to and, and that there was something that resonated. So they were you know in some cases they were picking thirty year old songs that um that resonated with them in the present wow. tense and and it wasn't just an ego hit i mean let's be honest it was great but it wasn't just that <laughs> it was it was me yeah. feeling as though um maybe i had done something that will stand the test of time you know at this stage of the game people think about legacy and they think about impact and all that and i i, I wonder yep. about it sometimes but but i try not to spend too much time obsessing about what the bob bennett statue will look like and more about what will happen in the hearts of people who hear these songs. You know, whether I sing them or someone else sings them, will they still have a place uh, in people's hearing? And um, yeah, I hope so. I, I can only hope. Fantastic. Where where do we go if we want to hear uh, more of Bob Bennett? Uh, we go to your website. Is that well, the best of way? Course, the, the, the website is my online home, and it's simply as it sounds, Bob Bennett, B-O-B-B-E-N-N-E-T-T dot com. And you can hear some things there. But don't tell Bob that I said this. But but truthfully, you can hit uh, <laughs> YouTube and find tons of stuff. You can go to Spotify, Apple Music, uh, samples on uh, iTunes and Amazon. And uh, you can listen to all kinds of stuff without parting with a thin dime. Hopefully that will make you maybe want to buy something, but... These days, I just want the songs heard. The the uh, the uh, math oh. will take care of itself in that regard. So I just try to get people interested in listening, and and whatever else happens after that, I'm grateful. <laughs> Fantastic, Bob Bennett. B E. There's two N's and two T's. Am That's I right? correct. BobBennett.com. Okay. Fantastic, Bob. This has been fun. Thank you so much for giving me some of your time. And, uh, uh, you know, I, we just, uh, we love your music and we love what you're doing and, and uh, glad, we're glad you're still doing it. That's all I can say. Well, John, and coming, coming from you, Keep I really up. appreciate that, my friend. Again, you guys were inventing the wheel, uh, 
that I got to write on afterwards. And so I thank you for your faithfulness over the years, and it's just been a pleasure to talk with you. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Here you go, folks. Bob Bennett, Bob Bennett tonight, talking about his music, story songs, all kinds of stuff about real life from a Christian point of view. You're going to hear everything uh, and some refreshing things maybe you didn't expect to hear. So, like he said, pick up some, uh, go on YouTube or whatever, pick up some of that uh, music. Okay? And the Bob Bennett. Don't forget that. Until next week, this is John Fisher with The Catch on Blog Talk Radio. God bless you guys.